a, a Giants podcast for Giants fans. By Giants fans. It's Sean Morash and Paul Dotino. Down the sideline, into the end zone. From the offseason, through the wins and the losses, it's time to take one, one, one giant, giant step, step. All right, look, if you're looking at a daily cover of Sports Illustrated, you may see one giant leap today. But if you're looking down at your Odyssey app, YouTube, Spotify, wherever podcasts are available, you should see one giant step. And that's exactly what this franchise did. It's Sean Morash. It's Paul Dottino here on One Giant Step, officially here to wish you a Merry Clinchmas and a Happy New Year, Paul Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> Looky here, fellow. We're in the postseason. How are you doing? Good morning, Sean. Doing very well. And and I must say, you know, the Giants coaches and players have all year talked about the fan support that this rejuvenated team has received. And I think it was pretty clear through your TV speakers oh. and your radio speakers yesterday. I mean, obviously, over 75,000 plus, very few no-shows. Those folks enjoyed a New Year's Day celebration, one that was so well-deserved for them and also for this particular Giants team. No doubt, Paul. I had tweeted this early on in the game. I said, this is the loudest a Giant home crowd has sounded through TV. Obviously, I've been in the building. TV doesn't always tell the story where it is louder in the building than TV portrays. But for a Sunday, and you know Giant games, Paul, you should get the drunk, rowdy crowd in a primetime game, maybe that late window NFC East, something like that at 425. For a 1 o'clock game, a lot of times that could be the wine and cheese, the celery and carrots crowd. That crowd was rocking off of a New Year's Eve to come in 1 o'clock. LT came out, got the crowd all fired up it sounded so loud and that made me jump out of our seat and you know Paul so many things that were important here right 11 years to the day since the home crowd got to witness the Giants clinch a playoff spot on their own that game versus Dallas Victor Cruz the whole thing Uh, of course 2016 it was somebody else doing the Giants work for them in week 16 to get them in so it's been a long time coming for the MetLife crowd the Giants crowd to experience something like this and then on top of that You know, a special number that me and you have danced around all year with game picks. The first time since December 22nd, 2019, that a Giants offense scored 30 points in a game. Now they end up 38 because you had the Landon Collins pick six as well. Three years plus since that happened as well. And oh, by the way, may I add a final cherry on top coronation of the Giant quarterback getting chance of DJ, DJ, and then getting taken out a hero salute for the crowd to cheer for him as Tyrod came in. Holy crap. I don't care if that doesn't get bleeped out. What a difference a year makes, Paul. Clinch in a playoff spot, the head coach getting a Gatorade bath, and the quarterback who once got booed at Yankee Stadium while throwing out a first pitch is getting a heroic chance and taking out of games. Unbelievable day. Any more energy from your side of this conversation is going to short-circuit the computer and the internet, okay? Ah, fire it up! <laughs> you know, the the, uh, the 38 points, the most they'd scored since December 22nd of 19 in Washington when they scored 41. That in itself was was quite an explosion. But I'm glad you brought up the, ta- the chance for Daniel Jones because – you know, they gave Eli Manning chance several years ago when he played his last home game against the Miami Dolphins. And that was a very emotional situation. But to be frank with you, uh, Sean, there were a lot of no-shows that day. 
Yeah. And by the time that game ended, the whole deal, right? Yeah. By the time that game ended and they were chanting for Eli, there were, there were a number of empty seats. Not yesterday. The chance for Daniel Jones came from a virtual full house. And that's what not only made it reminiscent, but even all the more special, especially since this kid had been beaten up by so many of his critics over the years. I, I, I immediately thought of the significance of it, and I was glad that not only Jones uh, had it brought up to by the media, but some of his teammates addressed it after the game. Yeah, and Paul, look, I, I this is going to get really stupidly personal here for a second. When it comes to the Giants, I don't care how pathetic and idiotic I sound. I'm a blubbering mess, and I get very, you know, emotionally passionate about the Giants. Okay, for me, the Giants are always going to represent the thing when it came to my father and my two sisters. I didn't have any brothers growing up. Like, that is the thing we connect on still in our adulthood. Growing right. up, it was the one thing expected from us was Sundays, we gather on the couch, we go to a game with dad. Like, that is our thing. I'm lucky enough to still have my dad who watches all the games with us and everything. So the Giants are just, they've always been this emotional heartbeat inside of me. And yesterday, when Daniel Jones got taken out of this game, and you hear the crowd chanting, and he had just put on this display, I think he should be the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. And you see guys like Dexter Lawrence, Saquon, Sterling Shepard even off of there, Leonard Williams, all of these guys, Andrew Thomas, who have experienced essentially nothing but losing for the most part here since they've all been Giants, Julian Love, and all coming to hug that quarterback that so many have been ready to run out of town. To me, that was an emotional moment. That was a moment of, we are worthy, Paul. We are worthy of this moment to go to the postseason and that these guys who have known nothing but losing experience what this felt like and seeing a, a giant crowd that just wanted nothing more for them to succeed, that was, I, that was some special stuff yesterday. It really was. I think it was very important for this franchise and for Daniel Jones to have that moment, Sean, because let's face it, we've discussed this before. In terms of, quote, must-win scenarios, Daniel Jones is now 3-0. and Yeah. He beat Dallas two years ago in the finale when he had to have it at MetLife Stadium. He, he helped beat Washington a couple of weeks ago down in Washington in prime time when most people, again, they didn't understand the math, but it was viewed as a must-win game. Right. It was certainly viewed as a must-win game yesterday in, in the home of MetLife. And he came through in flying colors. So so for that, I thought it was significant because, look, we both know that there were permutations where the Giants could have lost yesterday and still clinched. That would not have nearly carried the weight right. of a convincing thrashing of an inferior team in front of your home fans and for the first time this season winning a game by more than one score. Woo! This is the way it was supposed to be. Right. And by the way, the things they would have needed to happen didn't happen. So the Giants no, they did not. missed out. Uh, and they might have been on a Sunday night game or something like that versus Philly this week where we all would have been shaking in our boots. That being said. Oh, it would have been. I'm yeah. telling you that right now. They would have been playing Sunday yeah. night at Philly next weekend for the right to get in. Yeah, and this would have felt like a much different week. Now, Paul, with all that, and I've had a lot of, you know, the Cowboy fans texting me, the Eagle fans, the Jet fans, as I'm trying to enjoy myself, stuff rainbow cookies down my fat face and just, you know, <laughs> soak in the new year. And a lot of people, calm down with your tweets about that they beat the stinking Colts. Oh, hold on now. Hold on now. 
The same Colts who built up that 33-0 lead on the Vikings, the same Colts who basically were toe-to-toe with the Cowboys for three quarters. It's so funny how, you know, if the Giants would have struggled and won another one-score game, what would the narrative have been? Well, how can you really trust this Giant team? They struggle with the Colts. Now they go blow the doors off a bad opponent like they should. If you're a really good team, you smash a bad opponent. The Giants did that, and it's still not good enough for the naysayers and the haters. So I say screw all of you. This is exactly what the Giants had to do. And back to the Daniel Jones point. You know what's great about Daniel Jones, too? You brought up those must-win games, okay? Now we have seen this week versus the Colts. Last week, tough environment, Minnesota, obviously not his fault they lost. He did everything he could to lead the Giants back and win the game. And the week before in Washington, started throwing the ball, you know, when they trusted him more with all of these passes, had a couple of those drop passes, didn't matter. I know Kayvon scored that touchdown. Three weeks in a row, when the going and nitty-gritty got tough, Daniel Jones is the quarterback of the New York Giants, is now playing his best football. And what do you want out as a quarterback? You're going to have all that elite quarterback play. Don't get me wrong. I'd love Patrick Holmes, Josh Allen. But if you have a quarterback that when the going gets tough and the games get more important, they rise and play their best. Boy, who does that sound like? Somebody we were really familiar with before Daniel Jones, too. This is a really good sign the way Daniel Jones has played these last couple of weeks, Paul. Yeah, and and the thing about it is, Sean, he doesn't need validation from the critics outside the building. It is it is those people who work with him, or his teammates, his coaches. Those are the people who, as Coach Dable said yesterday, I've been telling you this all year. He's been showing up. He's been making good decisions. He's been tough. He's been nitty-gritty. He has been a workaholic. Jaquan Barkley tried to tell the media again yesterday after the game. When I get here in the morning, his car's already here. He's the right. first one here. He's the last one out. The funny part is people are just now recognizing a lot of what the Giants have already seen all season. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And again, this is somebody where more and more Giant fans are in his camp. And you just hope that the good mojo keeps rolling. And we'll see what the Giants do this week. We can get into that later on. We do a preview pod and and everything that goes with it. Now, Paul, a couple more important factors from this game is we kind of, you know, thank you, Daniel Jones, and and look elsewhere. Uh, Round of applause for Landon Collins, the only active member of the Giant roster who was on the Giants the last time they made a postseason. That pick six, again, just a special moment as the house was rocking and he slapped hands with fans in the end zone. And you talk about a guy who... Right, We all sat here, and I think it was breaking news right before we taped the podcast when the Giants had signed him to the practice squad. Then he got activated early. Then he was so inactive for weeks that he almost forgot he existed. Now Tate Crowder's long gone, and Collins is just proving and playing this pivotal role both in the run and the pass in Wink Martindale's defense, and he gets the pick six, his first since that 2016 season in London versus the Rams. Just a great moment from Landon Collins as well, and what a what a big piece to the defense he's been the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and if you talk to his teammates, they will express their admiration for him and their respect for him in terms of his leadership, in terms of his work ethic, his intensity. Uh, they love his football acumen. He's very, very smart. You know, when Landon left here, the problem was he was making so much money. He was going to try to get a big contract. He did get one from Washington. And at that time, he was slowing down as a safety and had gone through a litany of injuries to where that contract was overpriced for a guy who was going to be still a full-time safety. And so make no mistake about it. At that particular time, I understand, given the circumstances and the climate, why he did what he did to go. I I, I get it. The Giants were not going to 
pay him the kind of money that he was going to command to be that kind of guy. But now in this role as a inside linebacker in a game that has become so much more pass oriented than even four or five years ago, where you're using your sub packages more, where you want more athleticism, where you need guys who are more hybrids than they were a few years ago. Landon Collins has found a niche. And I think he is going to be a big factor the rest of the way. Yeah. And, and Paul, you might, you would know better than me. Big factor the rest of the way. I think there's a chance Landon Collins on the team next year as well. I know they want to improve the inside linebacker room, but I, I, I think he's at least, if he's embraced the role, you know, I'm going to compare it to the NBA. Carmelo Anthony was almost out of the league and then embraced the role of finally being a limited minutes bench guy or right. and fit the role. You know, if Collins embraces that, you know, I think he has some life still in this league. Doesn't mean a big, pay, high paid guy in a defense, but a valuable chess piece. Sure. I, I think that's I, there, especially in this defense. I don't think they would be uh, adverse to that. The question will be, how does Landon feel? Right. Does, does he want a bigger role again? Has he resuscitated his career that he wants to play more and obviously is going to need a, a valued contract that is commensurate? with those kinds of snaps. Yesterday, he played 55% of the snaps, which is the most he's played this season. Now, I think they like that role for him. Do you know yesterday, there were a ton of plays. They went with seven defensive backs, yeah. which is known as quarters. You know, nickel, right. dime, right. quarters is seven DBs. They did a ton of seven DBs yesterday where both he and Tony Jefferson were on the field as extra safeties. And, you know, I, I know Wink Wink likes to have that chapter, and we now have unseen it unveiled in a very big way. You may even see some of that going forward. The question will remain, is that type of chapter, that type of defense, is that something that's going to be sufficient for Collins to chew on? Because you have to remember, uh, Darian Beavers is going to be the primary starting run-stopping inside linebacker next year. Yeah. I know well, he was headed in that direction when he got hurt, and he was put on IR for the season. He'll be back next year. You'll think that McKeithen will put on some strength and bulk, and, and he's going to be involved. Will they bring back Jalen Smith? McFadden, you mean. McFadden. Uh, McFadden. I said McKeithen. Right, McKeithen's yes. the offensive yep. lineman, right. obviously. But, but by the way, he'll be back next year, too. Right. Right. To enhance the depth on this line. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, Paul, they've been riddled with injuries out of their rookie clays, too, which also makes this season pretty amazing. No question. So I don't I don't know. I don't know if if they're if if it's gonna work out next year or not. I think that's still to be determined. But I'll tell you this Landon Collins has a place in this league. Yeah. Collins definitely, definitely can play. I'd love to see him stay, but I, I don't know if he's gonna want a more expanded role. And let's keep with the defense here for a second. Like a good Tom Clancy novel, we had a big plot twist late last week when on Friday, okay, we're not going to probably see Jackson or obviously Xavier McKinney. And then we get Xavier McKinney. And Dable said this in the postgame presser too. They had planned a lot of limited snaps for him. His conditioning looked good, and he looked good on the field. And ironically, he got beat for that one big play that Indy made, which was just an incredible catch. But yeah. Xavier McKinney... Uh, seemingly didn't miss a beat yesterday, Paul, and he was a part of a lot of those packages, the quarters packages and everything else. Uh, I was stunned to see him on the field. It is certainly refreshing. Clearly, this is a different defense with him on the field. So a two-parter for you, Paul. Number one, how surprised were you at that late 
twist in the week that McKinney would play. And number two, we did not end up seeing a Dory Jackson. I know you've been projecting for weeks he'd come back. Now it really doesn't matter for Philly. Do you think we get a Dory at all to shake off the rust, or are we just going to see him in two weeks? Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if they give him a few snaps against Philly just to get him back in a game, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they don't play him at all. I mean, yeah, I, I think the tr- the trainers are going to have a very big say on this, as they have the last two weeks. And he's a you pro. Know? And, he, you know, it's not like he's some young guy. Dory Jackson's played the playoffs before. I think you trust him if he's resting that he'd be ready to go into it. I suspect as though I'm leaning toward at this point not playing him. But I wouldn't blame him if they got him a, a series or two just to get back in the flow. Because even McKinney admitted he had a shake off rust early in that game yesterday. Right. Well, would you want Jackson to be rusty in the first quarter of a playoff game? Right, against when, Justin oh, Jefferson, right. And and all it could take is one or two plays, and you pay for it. That's true. So so I don't I don't really know how they're going to play that. Uh, I do feel confident, though, obviously, that he's going to play in the playoffs. I, I just don't know what they're going to do with him against Philly. McKinney's an interesting case because, you know, we knew he was going to have the splint on his hand. It clearly impacted him. I think. Had he not had the splint on the bomb that you're talking about, he might have been able to make a better play on the ball. But you been. could see when he went up, his hand was stiff and it's closed because he's got that splint on it. And he really couldn't attack the ball quite as well as he would have liked. I thought about that, Paul. The only counter, and you're right, clearly doesn't have full functionality. But I wonder if a lot of going up like that, was him now having to gain the trust in the hand as well with the splint on, where, yeah, the splint might have hindered him, but now mentally, if he has a little more trust, I mean, that's still very early in the game, maybe he's a little more aggressive in fighting his hand up there too. Potentially, potentially. I took talk to him after the game on our MSG postgame show, and he said the splint was not an issue, didn't bother him at all. He went for a, a post-game x-ray just to check to see if yeah, there was Dave, any damage. Dable was Nothing surprised by that post-game. Did you hear that? Yeah. He got, yeah, Dable got asked. Even Dable was like, oh, it wasn't as bad as what Ron Rivera had to answer. We had no idea the commanders could be, you know, in the, you know, eliminated if that was a bad one on Sunday. But Dable was Yeah, like, that Dable didn't turn out so good. Did it? No. That was a bad look for the for Washington. Was a very bad look. But uh, uh, but talking about, but just about X, I, I yeah. want to give you numbers here, uh, Sean. Uh, 48 snaps. 83%, which was uh, third most on the Giants' defense yesterday. Now, remember, in most games, you're going to get at least 65 snaps, 70, 75. Kind of depends on the tempo of the game. So, in truth, because it was a slowdown game yesterday, you know, 48 snaps is, is not a whole lot. Right. Considering it could have been a whole lot more. He, of course, did not tell us what the snap count was but he did go over it, and and that's because he was he was feeling good. I think you saw the video I put up the other day of practice where he was running and catching a ball. Yeah, you know his conditioning was good, and and that God bless that he he had the trainers and the doctors take care of him to this degree where he could make this comeback. Yeah, that's extremely refreshing. And now more on the defense, Paul. Uh, Ojolari only plays seven snaps. So I don't, maybe that was just more of a, Hey, get him out there, keep playing, but they didn't actually need him. So why right. push him? That's the vibe I got from it. Ankle was still a bit sore after the game. I did talk to him. So there was no need to push it because they didn't yeah. need him. It was a blowout. 
And that's, that is a classic example. And I would go Leonard Williams as well with the burner where he had to come out. That's been bothering him. Right. Both of those guys, in my opinion, Paul should not see the field next week versus the Eagles. Yeah. I, I strongly, strongly want to stress this to all the fans out there that coach Dable is probably as symbiotic with his training staff as any coach I've ever seen. He trusts these guys 150% and takes their suggestions probably more than anybody. The Giants have always been good about letting the medical staff dictate availability of players. But for Dable, this guy is, is he like welcomes suggestions even above and beyond. So I think what will happen this week against Philly is that the training staff is going to give him a list of guys and suggest that this guy's nicked up, this guy's banged up, this guy's bruised, this guy's got a low gas tank, this guy's really fatigued, and I think that Dable will not have any problem at all of putting those guys off to the side. Yeah, I agree. And we can have that conversation more later in the week once we kind of see where this is going as far as what the Giants should do. Um but yeah, there I, I I'm leaning more that way, and I just want to throw this caveat out there, Paul, because we are going to get tweets on this, and I've seen them already. Look what the Giants did in 07. Remember, the Giants did the same thing in 16, eliminated Washington. It didn't Not do them the any same. good. Did, but but I'm saying that they did it that second time. It wasn't like they won the wild card and made a run when they did that versus Washington. It works both ways. And oh, by the way, they did get Sean O'Hara and Sam Madison hurt in 07 and were very lucky that they were able to survive those injuries. And oh, by the way, that was a way deeper team than this team, which we've clearly seen when guys have been banged up how different they are. So I will just leave that at that and we will tackle that later in the week. There are two, okay. I have two tweets come in, Paul, that both want us to discuss. How about this? We get a little fan reaction here. Okay. So, to discuss two plays and get our thoughts on. I'll start with the positive. I'll start with the one more, uh, and then we'll end with the one more controversial. The positive. We now have the signature tape highlight of Dexter Lawrence's career. I think that people in real time didn't realize when he tackled both an offensive lineman and the quarterback and got that sack, it was Quinton Nelson that Dexter Lawrence did that to. Now, you had talked about in the preview pod, he's not having the greatest year, Quentin Nelson, but that moment for Dexter Lawrence to just flat out knock over and sack both Nelson and, was it still Foles at that time? I'm losing track. It might have been Ellinger. But whoever it was at the time, to tackle both of those guys on one play, Paul, it's been an all-world Pro Bowl, seven-and-a-half sack year for Dexter Lawrence. That was some highlight. You know, I, I got to be honest with you. Uh, when he first drove the lineman back into the quarterback, I said to myself, that's kind of like something that Lawrence Taylor used to do off the edge as yeah. a linebacker. You don't usually see your nose tackle making that kind of athletic play. Now, we know it's a bull rush, so he's got the strength and the size to do it, but the athleticism to be able not only to win the bull rush, but then to have the speed to knock him so quickly back into the quarterback that the passer has no chance. That was the part of the play that was really impressive to me. Not just the strength, right. but the speed and quickness under which the sack took place. Then really? what I realized when they got up, oh my God, that's Quentin Nelson. How unbelievable. <laughs> he treated him like a rag doll. It's Quentin Nelson. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that was incredible. So she now looked Cole, like the tackling dummies that they have at practice. <laughs> exactly. What a moment. Now, the controversial one will, of course, be the Kayvon Thibodeau play, Paul. That's one where Indianapolis and Ryan Kelly after the game will upset. I'm still getting Colt fans in my timeline all upset. So, first of all, the play, Kayvon Thibodeau, again, just continues to be a man possessed since shaking that knee brace off the edge. He absolutely plows into falls. couple things to note here before we get to the celebration part that everybody's upset. First of all, clean hit. What becomes awkward and why Foles gets hurt is the way he falls hard on the football and ground underneath him where it kind of pokes up and punctures his ribs a bit. That, you know, that's not on Kayvon Thibodeau. That's actually, he didn't lead with the helmet. He didn't go low to the ankles. He didn't go to the head. He hit him in the midsection. It was an awkward fall to the ground by Foles. So great play by Thibodeau. Very clean play by Thibodeau. Yes. Unfortunately, what everybody's going to focus on is that Thibodeau goes down and starts doing the snow angels. Now, I've watched, I've rewatched a million times. He hits the ground right away. He doesn't know that Nick Foles is hurt. Nick Foles is laying on the ground after a sack, like every quarterback does. All of these guys do sack celebrations. It was a funny sack celebration. He got up after. Now, he went to the sideline and did the nighty-night thing. Now, I've also noticed in watching some post-other stuff, I wanted to do a little research on this. He's done this on two other occasions at moments, including Washington two weeks ago, where the game appeared sealed. That could be a cave-on thing where he's you know saying the game's to sleep. Either way, okay, I'm sure he'll learn, mature from the moment, but I think way too much has been made here in 24 hours about Kayvon Thibodeau being some kind of dirty player for doing that while Nick Foles is laying on the ground. All right, let me unpack that in two kind of sections. The first section for me, totally clean play, and Jonathan Casillas was sitting next to me in the press box when it happened. He was like rocking from the shot himself. He's like, oh, you know, and we both looked at each other, and I said, I think he just broke his ribs. Yeah. That's what I thought immediately is that because uh, Foles had landed on the ball in the belly of his stomach, I felt for sure his ribs were broken. And if not, he probably lost all of his oxygen and was having a tremendous amount of, of issues trying to get air back into his breath. Right. So that's what I thought happened. And Jonathan said to me, yeah, he goes, I, I, that's possible. But he goes, look, they're bringing out the cart. You know, do you bring out the card for something like that? And I'm like, I don't know. So, you know, we were so glad when he got up and was helped off walking off the field and didn't need the card. So let me just make that part of it clear. Okay, good. The second part of it, I'm not one for celebrations. I never have been. I'm an old school guy. You know, Jane Brown used to say, you score a touchdown, hand the ball to the ref like you've been there before. I get it. I am very much against celebrations, especially between the goal lines. Somebody scores a touchdown and they want to do an emphatic, impromptu sign of expression, I'll live with it. I don't go for the Broadway choreographed Radio City Music Hall Rockettes dance moves and musicals that some of these players and teams do in the end zone. Okay? So I I would already cut down on the end zone celebrations And I certainly would virtually eliminate anything other than perhaps a high five or a fist pump, anything between the goal lines. Okay. So personally, what Thibodeau did is against migraine. I don't agree with it. Um, I also don't believe that he knew Foles was so badly hurt when he was on the ground. Right. And I agree with you. I haven't asked him about it but I do think he meant that the game was put to sleep. They're not coming back. 
we're, we're locking this thing away. Right. That's my interpretation. So basically, but, if Foles wasn't hurt, you still would have been against it because you're not against them. You, you know, you're not pro the dance moves anyway. So I, I, you know, I get it. Dexter Lawrence, when he does the whole sexy Dexy jiggle, uh, you know, rocks the crowd. Personally yeah. speaking, I don't need to see that. Yeah. You know, I, Lawrence I, Taylor did. Lawrence Taylor did a fist pump. The right. greatest defensive player who has ever lived, who has ever existed in this universe, would do a fist pump after a sack. I never saw him do anything more than that. Yeah, and I can tell you the sexy Dexy thing has not worked for me in the bedroom, Paul, in the least. I have been thrown to the couch on multiple Sunday nights as I try to reenact that maneuver in my box. That's because you're not wearing a 97 to bed. Yeah, hasn't hasn't panned out. Yeah, just size 97 waist maybe. But yes, no, that has, hasn't panned out my, my way at all. And it could be worse, Paul. It could be like when Demontre Moore used to celebrate sacks down 35-3. So, I, you know. Oh, again, boy. Yeah, we've come a long way. We've come a long way. All right, before we get out of here, Paul, you were there. Any more observations, anything that we didn't get to you think is worth noting? Yeah, I I think it is worth noting that the uh, Giants, when they made some of the moves to take some of the guys out, we got to see a little bit more of Matt Breida. Yeah. And and I'm I'm really glad about that because, again, in the cameos that he makes, he's productive. He does things. And he adds adds a little bit. He has burst. Yeah, he's got some speed and some quicks. And, and. You and I have talked all year long about stuff they've held back. We've seen a little bit of that stuff come out in the last month. They still have more held back. And yeah. maybe we'll see it in the playoffs. And Breed is a part of that. So I I still have a, a lot of curiosity as to some of the plays and the game planning and some of the, the, uh, the formations and player deployments that we will see going forward. But Breed is another guy – Folks, just please keep an eye on him. And congratulations also to Richie James, who had seven targets and seven catches, and several of them were bullets, where yeah. he just reached up and plucked the ball right out of the air. That's a hell of a way to bounce back after that game in Minnesota yeah. when he had two fourth-quarter drops that would have gone for first downs. And, Paul, on TV they ran the graphic that of guys with 50 uh, you know, attempts their way, Richie James is the second-highest catch percentage, uh, which is so remarkable because all he's – basically known from is dropping balls. So it's well, I haven't, I, I have the giants as a team down for 40 drops on the season. I have four down by my video grades for Richie James. Uh, right. Two of his, two of his drops. Remember came on special teams returns. Yeah, we don't forget them, Paul. And by the way, they'd be remembered very greatly. Uh, well, the the giants been a minute. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. drops. Fumbles. Oh, right. Yes. But, 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 and I think that's the problem. You know, he gets he gets kind of tattooed, and that is the overwhelming negative against him is that Seattle game. Take away right. that Seattle game. You know, Richie James has been very productive. And there are a lot of Giant fans calling for Richie James to be cut. You can't accept the, the, you know, those plays versus Seattle. Well, guess what? Wondell Robinson got hurt a couple weeks later, and where would this Giant team be if they did not have Richie James as their slot receiver? Or right Isaiah now? Hodgins on the outside. Yep, exactly. Just incredible. Well, Paul... We get to sit back this week, watch practice, see who's you know going to be banged up. <laughs> and in a weird way, boy, those Eagle fans got to sweat out Sunday. Not us. Not us. We're comfortable in our own skin. Uh, and we'll see where this goes. So the Giants are in. The Giants are in the postseason, the first year of the Brian Dable era. Incredible. You know what, Sean? Uh, there is one nerve-wracking game to watch on Sunday. 
you you really I think you want San Francisco to beat Arizona. Oh, definitely. So they, they seal up the two and the Giants then go back to Minnesota. By the way, did you notice the Vikings lost two of their linemen yesterday in the game? Yes, they are. They're down to the third string center now. This is and be... their second string yep. right tackle. Yep. Um, I just ah, thought I'd throw it out there. Yeah. The Giants pass rush, should they have to play Minnesota in two weeks, might be going up against yeah. a very suspect line. And, you know, Justin Jefferson running free when it's Xavier McKinney and Adoree Jackson could look a little different than when it's, it's McLeod dropping passes. So, I, look, that's whatever. We'll get there when we get there. But you're right. Let's go 49ers this weekend. We'll rubber hit. <laughs> By the way, Giants-Vikings, we've seen plenty of those playoff games in the past. They've gone, you know, bad ways with Chris Calloway. They've gone great yeah. ways with Kerry Collins and Ike Hilliard. So, hopefully, we get another classic Giants-Vikings play. Or maybe we get another 38-10 Giant win. How about that? We'll take those again, too. So, hopefully, okay. we have all that. All right, Paul. We could follow you all week. There's going to be a big week, big week of practice. We'll also find out the game time for the Giants as well. Where can we get you on Twitter? At Giants WFAN. You can get me at Mraz CBS. Thank you to our producer, Adam. Hey, and if you guys are listeners to the podcast, go on the WFAN YouTube page. Search Sean Morris, Paul Dettino right down there. Boom. You'll find our lovely smiling faces in all their glory with plenty of clips and the show on YouTube as well. Thank you to everybody. Enjoy your Merry Clinchmas. Just relax this week. Let the Eagle fans worry about this week. Let's go Big Blue. The playoffs are here. Thanks for taking one giant step with us. (laughs) 